Welcome back to Health Call Live. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just call us at 447-1190. And we are continuing our in-depth look at the importance of sleep this half hour, talking with a sleep specialist to learn more about what happens when we sleep and to explore sleep disturbances. Dr. Seema Kosla is a medical doctor, spokesperson for the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And she says there are people who suffer sleep disorders and they never have a clue. They may go through their life living less than their best because, well, it's just what they think is normal. That's what they've known all their life. So they think how they feel is just all they're ever going to have. And she said there can be so much more out there. So if you are someone who suspects you have a sleep disorder, Dr. Kosla says time to do something about it because your body could definitely be paying the price. You know, it's funny. Sleep is one of these areas that we really do consider to be the third pillar of health. So we have nutrition, we have exercise and we have sleep. There's a lot that goes on in our sleep. Sleep is very important for restoration. And if you don't get enough sleep, that impacts our mood. It impacts our memory. And so it's a lot more significant, I think, than people recognize. You know, we're all very good at recognizing acute sleep deprivation. You're up all night with the baby. You are on call, something like that. But we're, you know, so then we get that we are sleep deprived, right? We're not as good, though, at recognizing chronic sleep deprivation. So the people who get maybe six hours of sleep a night and who feel relatively okay. And that's the group I think that we really need to pay attention to. Oh, good place to start. So uh, how do I know what's going on in my sleep? Other than a sleep study, are there some clues that I should be paying attention to that I'm really not getting the sleep I need? You know, what's so funny is I think, you know, we love all of this technology and I think our natural instinct is to buy something right to tell us about our sleep. And sometimes we just go back to the free stuff. So how do you feel in the morning? Are you rested when you wake up? Can you make it through your day? Are you yawning? Are you inattentive? Right. So we just bring it back to the clinical part. And the important distinction is, let's say you're getting adequate hours of sleep, right? You're hitting your seven to nine recommended hours, but you're still tired. That's when we really have our antenna up to say, well, could there be an underlying sleep disorder here? Ah, and sleep disorders come in a lot of different shapes, sizes, and forms. So let's focus on just a couple of things, arousals and awakenings. What's the difference and, and what do I need to understand? So an arousal is just a shift in the EEG. So when we do overnight sleep studies, they're called polysomnographies, we do a lot of measurements. So we look at your brain waves, we look at your heart and your lung and your breathing and your oxygen and, and that sort of thing. When we're looking at those brain waves, we look at everything 30 seconds at a time. But then sometimes within that 30 seconds, there's a three second shift in your EEG where it looks like you're trying to wake up. That's called an arousal. And so you often will go back to sleep and you may not even recognize that something has happened versus an awakening is that same sort of thing. You have that shift in your EEG, but you do then wake up. So it's, it's bigger, it's longer, and more people will remember those. 
So uh, an arousal, uh, does that interrupt the restorative quality of sleep and what's normal versus what's a problem? You know, it's okay to have an arousal here and there. Right. None of us sleep perfectly. You know, we don't all read the book and (laughs) follow our sleep the way that the book says that we should sleep. Um, It's when our sleep becomes so choppy and so fragmented that we keep waking up and we lose that continuity of our sleep. So our normal sleep will follow what's called a sleep architecture, meaning light sleep, deeper sleep, you know, going into REM and so on and so forth. And you do cycle through the various stages of sleep through the night. If you have a lot of arousals, though, oftentimes that doesn't allow you to progress into deeper sleep. And so it's almost like nodding off on a bus right? Or skipping a stone over sleep where you're really hitting the light stuff and you're not getting the deep stuff. And so then you may be getting your seven to nine hours, but because you're not getting into the deeper levels of sleep, that sleep itself is not restorative. Got it. So it's really about the quality of sleep as opposed to, so it's a dual factor, right? You have to get enough and mm-hmm. it has to be of the right quality. So do we know And the timing. And the, oh, tell me about timing. So when we look at sleep, we assess timing. So are you going to bed at the same time every day? Are you more of a night owl? Are you an early morning person? And does your sleep schedule match that? Duration, like we've talked about, quality, and then regularity. So maybe you're really good about going to bed at 10 o'clock Monday through Friday, but then you stay up late over the weekend and all of a sudden you can't sleep on Sunday night because you've, you're, you're out of your, your regular rhythm, right? And so then your brain's not ready to go to bed Sunday night at maybe 10 o'clock at night because you've already been staying up until midnight or one on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, I've heard that referred to as sleep hygiene. You want to be very Mm -hmm. careful and have that regular schedule seven days a week. Your body depends on Mm -hmm. that. So during the deep phase of sleep, so let's walk through those. The first phase of sleep is a light sleep. It lasts about 5% of the total time. I understand that. That's when you're just falling to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then you go through and you want to get to deep sleep. What is happening in our brain during deep sleep and why is it so important? So, you know, what's really funny is that um, I think there's this natural implication, especially since we have so much consumer facing sleep technology. The implication is that we should spend our entire night in deep sleep. And that's just not true. And so it's important that we do cycle through lighter sleep. So the sleep that you described, we would call N1 sleep or non-REM stage one. And that's that transition sleep where you're not sure if you're awake or asleep, but then you do go into stage two sleep, which is considered light sleep. But it's really interesting because in the sleep architecture, you know, when we look at the brain waves, you will see these little bundles. They're called spindles. So it's a really tight um, alternation in your EEG. And we think that that might be what actually blocks out sound waves so that you can sleep. And that might be why your own snoring doesn't wake you up. And so that's important. And then we cycle through what what we call deep sleep or stage N3, non-REM sleep, um, stage three. Um, These are where we have these wonderful, deep, long, beautiful, big waves. 
And so this is our slow wave sleep. This is where we download our short-term memory into long-term memory. Kids get tons of the sleep. This is where they grow. But then we transition to, to REM sleep. And so REM sleep is our dream sleep. It's where we have these really vivid, watching a movie kind of dreams. And, and so it's really important that we hit all of them. So we know that deep sleeper stage and three sleep is really important for memory, right? REM is important for mood. But some recent data shows us that REM actually helps us organize our memories so that you can fetch them when you need them. Oh, isn't that interesting? So could that be a clue to studies that show the link between sleep disturbances and dementia? It is known that people with dementia have deeply altered sleep rhythms. But, you know, chicken and egg here. Did the sleep problems contribute to dementia or are they caused by dementia? No one really knows yet. We know that during deep sleep, your brain washes away some of the proteins that are associated with Alzheimer's disease. So if you're not getting that deep sleep over a period of years, could that be putting your cognition at risk and increasing the risk of Alzheimer's? Again, no one knows. But why not take sleep more seriously? How do you do that? Well, as she said, there's lots of new technology available to help you track your sleep. Now, I'm sure you knew someone has undergone a sleep study, but what happens and if you want to do that at home? Are they as effective? We have lots more to talk about as we dig into sleep, and we'll continue our look at sleep as powerful medicine here on the Health Call Live Radio Hour on WOWA. This is Health Call Live. We're glad you're listening, but don't be afraid to call and ask your question on the air. It's free, non-invasive, and best of all, you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. And we are back to our deep dive on what makes good sleep good medicine. Your body, your brain, it craves a good night's sleep. All kinds of hormone regulation, memory management, lots of other good things happen when you successfully cycle through all the phases of sleep. But millions of Americans go through life struggling to fall asleep. Or others, kind of like me, you can fall asleep, but then you wake up several times at night. Both can be considered sleep disorders, and both can be treated by people like Dr. Dr. Seema Kosla. She is with the North Dakota Sleep Center in Fargo and a spokesperson for the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. They both fall under the umbrella of insomnia, so we would categorize it as sleep onset and meaning difficulty initiating sleep, and then sleep maintenance, insomnia meaning difficulty maintaining sleep. Can you have both? Absolutely. Can you have just one or the other? Sure, of course. And so a lot of it um, is something that we need to tease out. Is it situational? Do you have an exam coming up? Are you worried about your family? You know, some sort of stressor versus is this how your sleep has been for years? And then we need to figure out, well, if it's difficulty maintaining sleep, what is it that is bumping you awake? Is it your legs driving you crazy? Is it sleep apnea? Is it something external? Is it the train? Is it your bed partner snoring? You know, it's really important to, to get down to it. I think, I think we are excellent rationalizers when it comes to sleep that, oh gosh, I'm tired. I will just go to bed earlier tonight. Um, and because it's so slow and gradual, it often has been going on for a really long time before we seek medical attention. 
because we've just blown it off as, well, you know what, I'm working and I have children and I have this and I have that and I have all these things in my mind and I don't think it's important enough to, um, to have evaluated. And so oftentimes we're unraveling years worth of poor sleep. And a sleep study is the step to get there. Um, tell me more about that. If, if now uh, I have to go into a lab and a hospital or a freestanding center and it's in a strange place and I've got equipment hooked up to me, how can that be an accurate representation of what it's like for me at home? And, and that's exactly it. We get it. <laughs> we get that. It's a weird thing because there are a lot of wires and it is a strange environment. And I think at, at its core, sleep is very intimate. If we think about who we allow to see us sleep, it's people that we choose to. And so all of a sudden we're asking people to sleep in a sleep facility, a sleep lab with a total stranger watching them. And so we get that it's not it's not necessarily going to be the same as your night at home. What we're looking for, though, is is there something actionable? So most of the time when we're doing a polysomnography or an in-lab sleep study, it's because we think that somebody might have obstructive sleep apnea or upper airways resistance or periodic limb moves of sleep or maybe REM sleep behavior disorder where they are acting out their dreams. So earlier when we had talked about REM sleep where we have those wonderful watching a movie kind of dreams, our muscles are paralyzed so that we don't act out those dreams. If we get into this mode of REM sleep behavior disorder, if somebody has this disorder, they lose that muscle inhibition. So they are acting out their dreams and that can be very dangerous for their bed partner, right? It can be dangerous for them. And so these are the things that we're looking at on the sleep study. So we completely get that it's not your normal night of sleep. Totally understand. And we joke about it right? Because it is a weird thing. And so sometimes you just have to have a sense of humor and just go with the flow. You know, we've had people post pictures on Twitter of themselves in the sleep lab. And, you know, you have to, you just kind of have to understand that it, um, it isn't meant to replicate your night at home. We're just looking to see if there's something that maybe is fragmenting your sleep that we can still pick up in that sleep study. Well, technology has come so far now I can do that sleep study at home. Mm -hmm. um, is the quality of that data as good? Is that an option I should take if I, it's offered to me? So the home sleep apnea test is only when we're looking for regular old obstructive sleep apnea. So none of the other things that we had discussed. If you ask the question, is a home sleep apnea test as good as an in-lab study? The answer is no. But if you ask the question, is a home sleep apnea test good enough for regular obstructive sleep apnea? The answer is yes, with a little asterisk. So most of these tests are measuring airflow. They're measuring oxygen levels. And so we're looking for sleep apnea, but they don't have EEG leads, so we're not measuring your sleep. And so the way that we determine severity of sleep apnea is how many times you hold your breath divided by the hours of sleep, okay? So events per hour of sleep. And so it's just math. If we don't know when you're asleep, we use the value of the whole recording time of the study, right? Which we know you're not asleep the whole time. And so if you're dividing that same number by a bigger number, your overall number is smaller, right? And so home sleep apnea testing will underestimate what's happening. But again, 
if you have something objective on a home sleep apnea test and it tells us, hey, you're holding your breath 15 times an hour, that's actionable. Let's treat it. Now, if we brought you into the lab and it was 17 or 20, is that going to change anything? No. Good point. No, you know, we don't want people to be professional patients. It's we have something there. It fits. Let's treat you. Right. Let's see how you do. Uh, so what about uh, those home sleep trackers? There's the Aura Ring. There's a, a bracelet. I use a little app on a cell phone, put it next to my bed, and it seems to track when I'm awake and, you know, the phases of sleep, that kind of stuff. Are those of any value? You know, I think it depends on how you define that, how you define that value. So I actually love, <laughs> I love all of this technology because A, it makes people pay attention to their sleep. And then B, I think they're more vested and willing to improve their sleep. So if we ask a question, is it going to take over home sleep apnea testing? You know, at some point in the future, maybe. But as it sits right now, it's the data is just not strong enough to do that. But if you have somebody that's struggling with their sleep and you make an intervention, right? So let's say you like your patient you were talking about earlier that had difficulty maintaining sleep. And let's say we try a sleep aid. Is this a way that we can monitor it? Right. And so we take it with a grain of salt. And so often what I will ask my patients to do is when you wake up in the morning, you write down how you feel. How did you sleep? Not how your Fitbit told you you slept. And there's a it's subtle, but there's a difference because if Fitbit says your sleep was really fragmented. Then in your head, you're like, oh, my gosh, my sleep was really fragmented. It must have been awful. Versus if you decide first, I think that's much more powerful. Yeah, so I get what she is saying. That is Dr. Seema Kosla from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Uh, so she's saying there that the sleep trackers, yeah, they're good and they give you valuable data, but they can really kind of color your judgment on whether or not you got a good night's sleep. And I get that. I use this app called Sleep Score, and uh, you, you, every morning take a look at that thing and and for example this morning my sleep score was 91 so hey that's pretty good uh and you know it's kind of surprising she talked about how often we wake up during the night here's some actual stats i slept i was in bed for seven hours and 15 minutes but according to my app i was only asleep for just over six hours what happened in that other hour well this says I was awake for 48 minutes through the course of the evening. I'm totally unaware of that. Just have no sense of being awake that much. Deep sleep, one hour and 17 minutes. And she says that it's really important to associate, watch your deep sleep patterns and see what happens during the day and how does that generate deep sleep reactions. So on days when I exercise and go to the gym and lift weights, then, then I tend to sleep better have more of that deep sleep and that's really what your brain is craving and and she says that's very true across the board the more exercise you get the better the quality of your sleep generally she also says it is perfectly okay to sleep with a fan or uh, something like that going on in the room a noise generator that can often help you when you have tinnitus the ringing in your ears your brain pays attention to the sound of the fan instead of the tinnitus if you are like me, 
sometimes going to sleep listening to a podcast, something like that, um, then you need to use the timer feature on your app so that your brain is not paying attention to what it's hearing all night long because you subconsciously are still listening. And television, again, use the timer, she says, because that light is going to affect you through the course of the night. And again, your brain is always listening. So you might be paying attention to what's happening on TV and not getting the sleep you need. Hope that helped you out. Talked a lot about sleep, and uh, I hope that you get a little better sleep tonight and that you'll be having a great week next week. I will see you again next Saturday morning for another edition of the Health Call Live Radio Hour right here on WoWo. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWo 1190 a.m. and 107.5 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.